Hi everyone, welcome back to the New Managers Club. You're listening to episode 6 of this series. I do just want to say for anyone who is enjoying the series or has perhaps gained even a little nugget of advice or insight, please do subscribe to this series and leave us a rating and review. Thank you so much. And hopefully, if you've listened to episodes one to five, you'll know by now that I'm Ali. And I'm Molly. And today it's time to talk about a management responsibility that almost nothing can prepare you for, hiring and firing. It's arguably one of the biggest decisions you can make as a manager who to recruit for your team. Who is going to buy into your vision, your culture and your values? Who is going to perform for you, overcome challenges with you and ultimately drive your team forward? And who, unfortunately, is not going to make the cut? Today we'll be diving into the fast-paced, often cutthroat world of recruitment and everything that you need to know as a manager to make the best hiring decision for your team. (laughs) No pressure. It's fine. We can get through this together. And if you're listening today, guess what? It's official. You're part of the club. So, becoming a manager is just one part of the management equation, right? You need a team, too, and sometimes it's not as easy, or difficult perhaps, as inheriting one. Molly, what's been your experience of hiring and firing since you became a manager? Is it something you've had quite a lot of experience in, or something you're just dipping your toe into? I'm very lucky that I've never had to fire anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, more on the hiring side than the firing side. I hope that I won't have to fire anyone, but you never know. Um, (laughs) But no, I was really lucky that when I came into the role, there was a whole team already in place, um, but only recently someone in my team is moving on. So yeah, it's time for me to hire someone new and I'm here for all of Ali's tips today because she's done far more hiring and a little bit of firing <laughs> than I have. Um, so yeah, I, I'm at the moment recruiting um, for the first time, which is exciting. It is exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's it's one of those things that there's a lot about management that feels really scary and yes, recruitment is scary, but I think it... it kind of tips more over into the exciting yeah, part than the scary the part. Side. As you as you go through it gets scarier, just to warn you. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of pressure. It feels like a lot of pressure to pick the right person. Like you're looking at like a couple of sheets of paper. Should we should we bring them in for interview or not? Like and judging somebody on like you know like four hundred words is is hard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is hard. And I definitely it's interesting to take things this perhaps the aim but I definitely learned a lot about what makes a good CV from from recruiting I made some big changes to my CV after going through literally like probably 50 of them that is so true but I have spent more time reading the bad ones Mm -hmm. than the good ones because I'm like okay I need to do this this, this. I saw one this morning actually that was, was so well crafted they'd really sort of taken on board what was in the job description and really pulled those bits out nice because the ones that are really short and to the point that they've got the key tools that they're able to use top skills a very basic summary of what they've done i can scan read it in less than a minute that's the ones where i'm like yes yeah that's right for this role yeah refinement is yeah. something that i think um i definitely learned from i think i had one cv and i hope this person is not listening to this podcast i have no idea who they are so hopefully not um was i'm no joke like 15 pages and they'd oh. only had like they were kind of our age they weren't a, a super seasoned professional with like 10 plus positions mm. on their cv like it was there was a lot of stuff that did not need to be there so i do think you get quite an interesting insight into the recruitment market when you're doing it yeah. but i think the other point that you touched on there that i think is really interesting is that when someone unfortunately does make the decision to leave your team or for example i was in the position when i came into the role of having a completely blank slate and building my team from scratch it is a really good time to take stock and think, what do I need? Yeah. What can my team really benefit from? But also, particularly if you've got an existing team in place, I guess, kind of looking at how that is performing and what could be better, what is going really yeah. well, what can another person bring to that dynamic? Do you feel like you spent a bit of time kind of thinking, uh, like scoping out the team yeah. and really crafting where that new person would fit? I did. I did spend a very long time, like, doing lots of different documents, trying to figure out, like, who who will do what, where does that best sit? Um, But actually, I think I need to be quite flexible with it. I think it's really good to have that understanding, like, it would be really great to have this, or someone that could be upskilled into that, um, but not being too, sort of, strict with it. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Because I think it can be quite easy to kind of craft a team around specific people. Yes! But ultimately those people might move tomorrow. Mm. Like, let's hope they don't. (laughs) Those people that we spend a lot of time investing in. But 
potentially like Mm -hmm. those people could go and I think it is always quite important to think of it almost as a blank slate like if I was starting again what would I do and then how can we use the skills that we have to fit with that but also what else are we looking for that is new um so I think it's quite important to do that but it's also an interesting time I think particularly when someone does come on board to kind of take stock of the culture in your team too and kind of think what is really important from a a people fit Mm. a person fit I don't know what quite how to phrase that um because something that I I'm quite like an A-type personality. I was very focused on like, they need to be able to do this and this is really important Mm. and I need them to have this skill and this is what I want. And like I had the kind of archetype in my head of of these are are all the skills. I actually don't think I thought at all, which looking back on it is pretty stupid, about the person underneath all that and like what they should be like and what was really important for our team to have. Um, in terms of like people focused skills that's um, so interesting though because every single person in your team is like such a nice person oh, <laughs> that's good such good people so you'd think that you had like intentionally gone out there to find like the nicest people yeah and... I had nice on the list you know it's like essential skills good nice <laughs> um, but no so that's that's quite surprising too actually yeah I think I probably it's fair to say like I gravitated towards those people yeah. during the recruitment process when I was going through and obviously someone that is chatty and friendly and able to hold a conversation Mm. like that goes such a long way and I think that's such an underrated skill in um in any kind of recruitment really I don't think specific to marketing which is obviously the industry that we're both in just the ability to communicate with other people Mm -hmm. and particularly I think that's exacerbated by the fact the fact that a lot of recruitment now is virtual or at least it was when I was doing it um it was really important for those people to be able to join a team's call and dive straight in and not, you know, sit there awkwardly and think, what do I do? Yeah. So what were some things that came up in those interviews that you were like, instant red flag, no? Like, Oh, good question. I mean, that is a big one, like not being able to just um, have a bit of like backwards and forwards with someone um, and being able to, I mean, I wasn't expecting someone to join and like, come on to the room like I wasn't expecting that yeah and nerves is is such an important part of that but even if you're nervous just having some things in your back pocket like as a candidate that you can say so uh, it it, like I so (laughs) I um I actually did some virtual interviews where I was interviewing for a role towards the beginning of last year about a year ago now and I had this really awkward one where I joined the team school like I was let into the team school I was early and they let me in straight away um and it was just me and one of the hiring managers kind of sat there waiting for this other person obviously never met them before like Mm. bit and and it was I think it was the first interview I'd done virtually and I was like oh my god I have to come up with five minutes worth of conversation with this person I've never met um and I could tell that they were kind of like working like they were not really fully engaged in the conversation but I had like some things that I was like okay I know I can ask them this like how long have you worked for the company what's your you know how has the recruitment experience been for you this is a bit weird doing it virtually isn't it have you had any you know Mm. interesting experiences with that like the things that you can just fall back on um that help you to just break the ice like Mm. There is certainly a role for the person that is recruiting to kind of like set the tone and break the ice yeah. to an extent. But actually, as a recruiter, it can be really comforting when a candidate does that. Do, doing the work. Yeah, for like takes yeah. the ownership to say, actually, I'm going to take charge of this situation. I'm in control of the conversation yeah. here. I really um, like that. Did you feel nervous going into the interviews when you were interviewing being, people? Being the interviewer? Yeah. Yeah. I really, I felt like I was being interviewed, and actually, you kind of are. Like you yeah. are massively. I think you are being I guess so. interviewed, and I was quite particularly because this is a team that I was building from scratch. Like I didn't have any. Um, I don't know how to describe this, but any kind of like existing loyalty in the team. Like yeah. I didn't have a solid base to build from. This was literally from scratch, yeah. and so I felt like it was really important, literally from the first time I interacted with the candidates, for them to think like, yeah, I could follow her. Like, yeah, Aww. I could, I could be managed by her. Yeah. I respect her. I think that she knows what she's doing, and that is, you know, I, I could be part of that team, and I would feel confident doing that. Yeah. It was really important for me to set that kind yeah, of like set the tone. tone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which was quite a tough thing to do, particularly virtually, um, when they're not you know, experiencing the office or interact with anyone else. Like, you are their experience 
of the company, like just you on this Teams call or Zoom or Slack or whatever you use. Um, you know, it, that is, yeah. that's it. That's it's all they're getting. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, you make me nervous. No, <laughs> you'll be fine. No, you'll be absolutely fine. And I think, to be honest, I was interviewing um, last year. So I, I, not only for myself, but as in for my team um, last year. And that was obviously like height of doing it virtually. Mm. And it was definitely something that I wasn't super comfortable with. But I do think more candidates and probably more hiring managers are more confident with it now. Yeah. And also you'll be able to intersperse it hopefully with a bit of face-to-face as well, which I definitely mm. think does help if yeah. you can do that. Yeah. I can't imagine saying yes to a role without seeing the office mm, or like meeting the people in person I know it's strange isn't it and that was um one of the first things like when so we obviously made the offers we went through we recruited these people and on their first days or days when they even came in to set up their equipment I was like this is like an interview you know I have to be yeah. on it I have to be like showing the offices at its best because they could They've already accepted the job, but they could be like, oh, God, like, what is this? Yeah, you know, no thanks. <laughs> well, I mean, we have, a lo- we have a lovely office space. Even so, it's pressure to put on that mm. kind of, you know, that now, How long do you feel like you have to keep that up for? Oh, my God, not long. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's a good idea to keep it up for a long time, but I definitely didn't. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not feasible, and, and you definitely, I don't think you should, like, fake it till you make it or anything like that. But um, I definitely did feel a bit of pressure then when we had been virtual through the recruitment mm. process and then it came to face to face and it's like okay now we have to make this work having like a physical connection if that makes yeah. sense you know we've got to interact as two actual human beings um, but to be honest I think with everyone that I've um, recruited like I just took them out for a drink on their like mm. first few days or the first time we could be in the office together you know anything just to break the ice yeah. and just be like we're still getting that kind of one-on-one time that you potentially would have got in a face-to-face interview yeah. and maybe we're doing this the wrong way around but we're still doing it you know yeah. it's still really important yeah. to do those things I like that and I like the informal side of it and it makes me think about when I've joined companies and the best times that I've settled in and, <laughs> and the one that springs to mind actually is where the hiring manager on the well, my manager at that point on the first day she was like do you want to come outside for a cigarette I didn't smoke I was like yeah all right then. <laughs> do you know what though that I think that's the other thing as a candidate like just having that willing to be and I'm yeah. not suggesting that everyone like goes and stands in the smoking area if you're gonna like <laughs> have an asthma attack or whatever but I think that's you asked about kind of red flags during the recruitment process as mm. well I think that kind of relates to it like just showing a bit of willing yeah. and interest yeah. and one of the biggest things um, that myself and the person I was hiring with probably said about um, people afterwards is like they might have been great they might have had all the experience on paper but there was no passion oh, like, that's so important there was no like yeah I really want to do this and and you could see that it was something that really meant something to them yeah. like that for me was were, were the people that I was like yeah okay this is who I want to work with that's really interesting and I think that's what I'm naturally drawn to in people is people mm. that feel really passionately about something because that rubs yeah. off on me and I'm like well yeah like I should feel passionate about this too but I wonder if I'll go <laughs> I might be like sort of swayed towards someone that's passionate but maybe actually doesn't have the skills I really need yeah. so getting that balance right and not being like oh for me <laughs> and Ali will know because I say it all the time I'll be, I'll be like oh they're such a good person <laughs> like they really deserve this but actually I think it's really important for me now in this situation for the first time to really be like okay they're a great person but actually can they deliver on what we need them to because otherwise that could you know negatively impact the team and the business and what we're able to deliver on so yeah, getting that balance right and not going with my sort of own judgment of being like what a great person they are yeah. is gonna be tough I think. I think it's definitely a balancing act because you need to have synergy between who they are as a person and how much you can kind of like relate to that and buy into that which I do think is a really really important part of it because ultimately you do hire someone for who they are not what they can do right now mm-hmm. because there is training there's learning there's upskilling yeah but also if you spent your whole career as a manager just upskilling people and not actually getting the benefit of their full skill set that one you're going to burn out and be like exhausted and two you're never going to have that fully high functioning team but I think what's important to know is that no one's going to have all of the skills that you Mm. want I think it's about having a few non-negotiables it's been like dating (laughs) (laughs) um not that I do a lot of that because I'm married but um when I did I like it's it's like knowing what am I not going to compromise on yeah. and it's actually do you know what it's really easy and this is probably something I've fallen foul of is um and even me not being really like a big people person I've fallen foul of 
being like, do you know what? They're so nice. They're so passionate. I could mm. really work well with them. So I'm going to compromise on something that actually Ooh. going into it, I didn't think I would compromise on. Yeah. Um, so I think having those things, having like a checklist of kind of, and th- this needs to be more refined, I think, than a job description because mm-hmm. no one is going to have everything on the job description. Yeah. Like the things that you need from that candidate that are going to be most important to you and your team. I think it's important to have a couple of those not just against skills, but against people fit as well. And this is definitely something that I was burnt by, not taking Mm. into account the people side of it. And then when I made a hire again after that situation where someone didn't work out, the people side of it was almost more important to me than the skill set side, which is something Mm. that I never expected to kind of experience as a manager Mm. or to put as a priority. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the whole picking someone that fits in with just the organization and like because we work for an organization where the people are just so friendly like I don't think I've ever been in a like I've worked for a lot of amazing companies where people are very nice but they're like the level of friendliness here is like next level isn't it yeah and so if you've got someone that comes in that's not sort of open to that or quite shut off that's really difficult so it's definitely something that I'll need to keep in mind yeah and also I think the other thing to bear in mind is that everyone will have an opinion about who you hire Mm. and this is a really difficult thing to navigate because everyone will think well uh, whether they mean to do it you know intentionally whether they're doing it consciously like molly says we work in a very friendly organization but i'm sure there were some people when i made my hiring decisions at least initially who thought like oh wonder why she's chosen them like i wouldn't have gone with them necessarily Mm. or this or you know they might have one isolated experience with one person and think oh that's not what i was expecting from them you know everyone's going to have an opinion on who you as a manager choose to recruit for your team Mm. um because everyone has very high standards i think and you know if someone even falls short of that slightly people might think like oh you know what was that about and particularly when it doesn't work out everyone's the first one to say like i knew it i knew (laughs) that that person wasn't right and it's like yeah okay great well why didn't you tell me that um you know and and everyone will have an opinion on that situation Mm. but it's very important for you as a manager to just be (laughs) i say this not being able to do this myself at all but to just to be really sure in yourself and kind of revisit those things that were really important to you and know that even if someone might be I don't know casting judgment on the fact that someone isn't the most proficient data analyst actually Mm -hmm. you know that they've got skills that were really important to you and also having someone that you went through that hiring process with that you can maybe check back in on and say you know, we did this together. This is right, isn't it? You know, this is why we hired this person. I think it's important to check in with them as much as you're checking in with your new hire and just make sure that you're um, kind of fully supported at both ends of it because it can be quite difficult mm-hmm. when you feel like there are eyes on you for making the decision yeah. that you've made. And particularly yeah. as a new manager where you might not feel the most confident in that decision in the first place, yeah. to then have other judgments thrown in, I think, is quite tough. Definitely. How soon <laughs> did you know that it wasn't going to work out in the times where it didn't work out with a new hire? I knew, like, as soon as you started asking that question, which is why I laughed, but that was why you were going with it. Um, how soon did I know? Do you know, <laughs> again, a bit like a failed relationship. Like, it's so easy to be like, oh, I knew. I knew from mm. the start. I, like, you know cast aside all of the positive things and only focus on the negative because ultimately the end result was negative so it's quite easy to do that and like default to that position it's hard to like know exactly when that moment kind of happened like distill it down to one kind of tangible feeling because also an important part to consider is that I personally have found that the people that I have taken the longest time to connect with in my team are actually the people that I've built the strongest connections with in the long term yeah um which is often the way like a slow burn Mm. you know and probably because those are the people who are most like me where it's like it's harder to get to know or you know there's a bit slower um like release of information or whatever like less things kind of connect on so there's that part of it whereby it doesn't have to like set the world on fire Mm. the second they walk through the door like you don't have to start with the most amazing relationship and you're probably not going to because that's not the way that people Mm. work um and if you are suddenly like best friends with your new hire overnight they're probably a psychopath because that sounds really weird (laughs) like that's not okay um so that's important to note is like that it doesn't always 
start fantastically mm-hmm. but as long as the foundational points are there and you're making a concerted effort and you're still finding those points to connect with and you're really homing in on what is connecting you to that person and keeping yeah. up that communication it can definitely build over time but I think the biggest thing for me was I don't know how much detail I can or should go into about this but I think that it was seeing and <laughs> this kind of relates to what I said before but it was like seeing and hearing other people because I kind of thought in myself, hmm, is this, is this quite right? But yeah. I'm quite a sceptical person and I was doubting my own hiring decisions. I was doubting my own thought of like, okay, well, am I just second guessing this? Is this quite right? Or am I just being, you know, I mean, being sceptical about this potentially working out. But seeing the impact that it was having on other people, mm. I think was the biggest thing. Because I'm just one person in the equation. But ultimately I was seeing significant impacts not just on myself but on other members of the team on other members of the department and more than one person spontaneously said to me this is not quite right and and as much as I as much as I think it's very important to kind of be firm in your own decisions and stick to your guns and you know have that that reasoning that you you kind of really Mm -hmm. come back to when you're doubting yourself ultimately if four or five other people are also saying to you, mm, not quite sure about this, it's it's probably not quite right. But I think it's quite important to disentangle that from just not getting on well with a person because yes. you don't, like, as a manager, yeah. you don't have to get on well with everyone. Like, I'm very lucky that I do really like on a personal level everyone in my team, mm. but I have no doubt that there will be times in my career when I work with people that I don't like. Yeah. There's always going to be things <laughs> yeah. in having relationships with people where sometimes things don't quite go as you would have wanted them to go, yeah. and that's yeah. absolutely fine. It, and so it's important to kind of separate yourself from, am I just not well personally or professionally aligned to this person like Mm -hmm. as in are we not similar do we not have things we can connect on do we not work in quite the same way which i in my experience is a problem that is not insurmountable you can overcome that together but if there is a fundamental misalignment between that person and your team or -hmm. your organization or your goals your culture what you want your team to achieve that is a time where you need to try and extract yourself from that. And I think that probations are there for a reason. Like that mm-hmm. that three-month, that's what we do at our company. Um, we do a three-month probation period. And that's a really important time to just feel all of these things out. But also yeah. I think the really, really, really important thing with that, and this is probably the hardest thing in this equation, is to keep communicating about it. Mm. It can be so easy when these things are coming up to just like keep it all inside and then eventually from the perspective of whoever you're working with who potentially isn't quite performing as you would have wanted they have no idea what's going on and then it all bubbles up and then eventually it doesn't work out and they've had no opportunity to try and come back from a difficult situation Mm. the best thing I think you can do as a manager in that situation obviously you need to do this in a very courteous and considered way and a very constructive way but is to give feedback as much as you possibly can and not just about how you're finding something that you, I don't think it's constructive to say someone, I don't like the way you do that, but it is constructive to say the way you do that does not get the best out of me. If this is what you want from me, if you want my opinion, if you want my view on this, you want my input on this, this is a way that you can approach me that will get a better outcome from the situation. You know, it's not a case of, you know, I just don't like the way you talk to me. That's not okay. But I think it's really important. It actually can feel quite um, difficult as a manager to have those conversations because you kind of think, well, am I being reasonable? Is this, you know, is this something that I should be feeding back on? And particularly if it's something that's quite fundamental to the way that a person is, Mm -hmm. because it can feel like you're saying, I just don't like who you are as a person, which you're not, because ultimately that's irrelevant to how well someone performs in a job. Mm. Um, but it, you, I think there's a way to approach that whereby you're having a very constructive conversation um, 
that is ultimately focused on getting the best out of that person and the best out of you. And I think yes. as long as you have that as your central aim, you can't go too far wrong. Obviously, if it's something very sensitive, do consult with HR, which I did, <laughs> in fact. Like, I kept up my communication with our HR team about what was happening um, and got lots of advice from them, which was great. Um, and also then made it easier when ultimately it did have to make quite a difficult decision because they were already across everything that had been happening. Um, so keep that communication going, not just with the person that you're having the issue with, but with your support network around you, your line manager, your HR team, whoever that is, that is your kind of network at a peer to peer level too. Brilliant advice. <laughs> was it? No, no, that was really I feel good. Like I just unloaded some emotional trauma. No, that was really good. That was really helpful tips actually, especially about the bit about like not keeping it in and like, you know, you've got feedback to people. Well, it's like anything, them. you know, you need, as much as you might just want to write it off and think, oh, this just isn't working. Mm. Ultimately, it's your responsibility as a manager to do everything in your power to try and make it work. Ultimately, you hired this person for a reason. You've gone through various stages of interviews. Other people have not got the role because this person was so compelling to you mm. for one reason or another at interview stage. You owe it to them and you owe it to yourself and your own time to try and find a resolution. And nine times out of ten, I genuinely think you can find a resolution. Um, I would like to say at this point, I have not like fired everyone in my team. This was like <laughs> an isolated incident. Um, and not everyone's probations were like, you know, fantastic all the way through in my team. And there were things that we needed to work on and feedback that I needed to give. But we were able to come together on what the big challenges were and work through them together. Mm. And I think that's also another big red flag is if you feel that what you are feeding back on isn't being heard or isn't being Mm. acknowledged, isn't being understood, that's a a challenging situation and one where you either need to kind of take a look in at yourself and think, how am I feeding back? Or you need to ask yourself, is this person not willing to hear what I have to say? And if someone in your team that you're working with is not willing to hear what you have to say, for me, there's no foundation to work from there. You know, no one is perfect. And I know we both do this, ask our team for feedback as much as we possibly can without annoying the hell out of them. Mm. Like we both Do you feel like you get honest feedback? No. (laughs) No, we do. (laughs) Just like, yeah, everything is great. You're you're great. (laughs) Like, okay, but what what annoys you? What really irritates the shit out of you (laughs) I'm doing? But um, if that's hard, I would find that really hard. I was going to say, I think, ask yourself, would you tell that to your line manager? Absolutely not. Exactly. But I think even if someone in your team doesn't necessarily feel that they can say something that's bothering them or, you know, a challenge that they're having, I personally feel like even just having that forum to say and to know that if something did affect them so deeply that they really did feel moved to tell you about it and they built up the courage to do that, which is no small feat, they do have a platform to do that Mm -hmm. and you are giving them every opportunity. And, yeah, for the first, like... 10 times you ask them they might not say anything but that 11th time they might yeah and it might not be something to do with you it might just be a forum for feedback in general but feeling like they have that platform to say actually this is not working for me i think that's really powerful even if they don't use it just to know that it's there yeah do you know that reminds me actually of a situation when um so when i joined although there was already a team in place um there were people that were new into the role and someone spotted some things some processes and ways that we were working with other teams actually weren't working and, and did feed that back after like maybe like four one-to-ones they were like actually this is not working for me like are you able to support are you able to speak to this person see if we can get this at a different timeline and um, so yeah having that perspective I do think you're right it's not mm. it's not about just asking once is it you've got no. to keep. and that's the other thing actually I think it would be quite easy as a manager to think like oh well, they haven't given me any feedback so I'm going to stop asking Do not stop asking because you never know when they're going to need that opportunity. And even if you feel like you're annoying them, I don't think I don't think that's true. I think it's just a case of sometimes you have to keep presenting the opportunity because you never know when it's going to be needed. And I would much rather present the opportunity too many times than too few times. So, Molly, thinking now that you're about to go through this recruitment process for your team, are you feeling excited? Is there anything you're, like, specifically looking forward to through the recruitment process? And what have you done to prepare yourself for it, too? I'm definitely more excited than nervous. I'm really excited to um, to sort of shape the team and, and get to experience that and build it. Um, I think one thing that I particularly liked about it during this process is whenever I apply for jobs usually at the sort of level that we're at now it will say 
required you need a degree is required for this role and I um, I do not have a degree um, I've got lots of marketing training and years of experience but I don't have a degree and so when I was put in the position of hiring someone new and I had the sort of job description and job ad from the when we previously hired for this role I was like no I'm taking that out I'm mm. taking out the because it said like preferred preferred for the ideal candidate would have a degree and I was like no my ideal candidate does not need a degree. It's wow. okay if they if they don't. It would yeah. be great if they do, amazing. Yeah. But equally, if they don't, that's also brilliant. And there's this oh, amazing TED Talk. It's called, what is it, Ali? You know it. The oh, Scrappers and the Silver Spooners. Yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, so if you work for an organisation and your organisation typically has degree degree required on your roles, go and check out that TED Talk and then really reconsider is, you know, do you really need that? Are you, you know, a heart surgeon or <laughs> is it is it absolutely necessary because um you could be cutting yourself off to some some pretty amazing candidates if you if you don't. Um so yeah, I'm obviously open to to both. I I'm I'm not fast to help people educate themselves. If they read everything in a book, as long as they're showing that passion and that drive to learn, that's that's all I'm looking for. It's not not fast how they got there. Mm. It's interesting because that's something that you've talked about there where that's when I say it's a personal bias mm. I don't mean that in a negative way no, it absolutely that's, is. but that's a really positive example of how you've used your personal experience mm. to say I'm going to make a change how do you think you're going to fare with kind of taking your own personal bias out of the hiring process because I think that's something that I struggled with because I kind of thought like oh maybe I'll just you know like get people like me or you know similar experiences and I definitely found that I connected more or kind of got more excited about candidates where I was like yeah this is like my experience you know this is perfect um where actually Mm. that's not what we're hiring for we're hiring for individual people and it doesn't really matter what our experience are or kind of like how that impacts Mm. on someone else how do you take your own personal viewpoint out of that and look at it in a more objective way is it something you've thought about or kind of prepared for yeah for me we the team that I work in we have quite full-on workloads and so I know in the back of my mind like I'm going to be paying the price if I do not get someone that is able to meet you know the basic sort of needs of the team I know like I would I would love to spend a lot of time upskilling someone, but I know that I, as much as I'd like to say that I can do that, I can't commit to that time-wise at the moment. So I know for the greater good of the team and to make sure that I can deliver on the things that I need to, that I'm paid to deliver on, that they have to meet a certain standard. And um, so, yeah, no, I I think for my own sanity and for the team's sanity, I have that quite front of mind that they need to be able to deliver. But this person that's moving on is, you know, fully capable of sort of running they're very confident in the role and able to do it without a lot of support at the moment so yeah it would need to it has to be someone that can do the job (laughs) yeah that's quite important Mm. (laughs) so have you done anything else kind of like prepare yourself for going through these interviews how is that going what are you feeling about it um to prepare myself for the interviews I that's actually why I asked you to do this topic of your podcast because I I want to know how did you prepare how did you know what questions to ask how did you structure them is there anything that you didn't like about your structure that you changed going forward any like questions that you wish you had or hadn't asked or Mm. absolutely any advice okay advice oh my god okay um so I had a sheet like a a sheet of (laughs) I don't know why that sounded so weird. <laughs> I had like a template of um, questions that I wanted to ask, which were um, kindly, well, a kind of basic outline was supplied to me by our HR team, which was oh, super wow. helpful. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask. I was going to say, I can send you my template <laughs> as well if you'd like that. Um, yeah, because it can be quite hard to know what to ask, particularly because you don't want to kind of kind of ask too much too soon or get into anything that's too kind of challenging or difficult off the bat but then also you don't want to waste your time if someone's kind of not cut out for it I would say when you have those non-negotiables worked out in your head that is the point at which you can really start to craft your questions because I think I almost spread myself too thin and rather than really focusing on specific areas that I thought this is where the person can make the most impact this is what I really need to ask them about Mm. I was focusing on everything like I wanted to know everything about (laughs) their experience everything about who they were as a person everything that they loved what they didn't like you know all that kind of thing whereas actually you can be much more targeted and you can probably get a more um valuable interview out of that 
something I found quite challenging was to be spontaneous in the interview and kind mm-hmm. of build a rapport and build the kind of like startings of a relationship when you're like oh but I need to ask all these questions yeah because there's a part of you that wants to go off on tangents and ask them about specific things in more detail and all that kind of thing um one thing that I did ask that I'm glad that I did but I felt a bit cringe writing down when I had it on my um template was to ask the candidates to tell me something about them that wasn't on their CV. I like that. So, But when I wrote it down, I was like, is this one of those horrible questions that's like, what kind of biscuit are you? What's your biggest weakness? Like, you know those ones that are just trying the to catch you out? kills me every time. It's awful, isn't it? I genuinely did have a friend that was asked what kind of biscuit she would be in an interview. Like, these ones that were, like, they're just designed to put you on the spot yeah. and to make you feel uncomfortable and to make you think and come up with something quickly. I just hate those. Like, what are you trying to achieve with that? Um, No one has a good answer to what kind of biscuit are you? Um, Or, like, what kind of animal, what colour would you be? uh, It's just, it's not... um, it's not a um, it's not a valuable thing to ask, I don't think. Um, One thing that I did ask initially was about how people would describe them. So I would ask the candidate, how would someone that works with you now describe you as a colleague? And what I was trying to get to the heart of that was kind of how they perceive themselves, because obviously they're not going to know what their colleagues think about them. Um, But but it was like, it's essentially describe yourself in three words, but with a kind of extra bit of complexity that makes it a bit more interesting. Um, Because obviously they're thinking about how they are at work and that kind of Mm. thing, but also how they are with people, um, which I think gets out quite a different answer. Um, But I think it's important to know with that question that you are not you're not finding out what their colleagues think about them. They're fi- you're finding out what they think about themselves, which That's is still really very valuable, but there are probably yeah. other ways that you can find out what their colleagues think about them yeah. or how they respond to certain situations. Yeah. No, I really like that. I would say, um, th- this sounds really obvious, but particularly I think when you're hiring, because we're kind of middle middle management, so we're hiring for junior members of staff, I think it's fair to say, um, just to keep things simple, like, mm-hmm. it's so easy to think that you need to ask them about everything. You need to ask them the most complex questions. You need to get everything in there. Um, I had one question that I can't remember even what it was now, but it seemed to trip up every candidate, and they were kind of wow. like, what do you mean by that? Or, you know, yeah. it, it never quite got to the kind of heart of what I was looking to Which find out. It was something about how they like to communicate or what kind of methods of communication they find most effective. Oh, I would struggle with that. I know. And I, but what Text, I would... What's up? <laughs> uh, literally, and people would say, like, Oh, I just send an email and it's like, okay, it's not really quite what I was trying to get to. Um, so I think sometimes you can have an idea of like, yeah, this question will help me find out this specific thing. Mm. But that's not always the case. And there's probably a more um, kind of nuanced ways that yeah. you can get to the heart of that information without literally being like, so how do you like to communicate? Yeah, also, <laughs> I wonder, like you t- talking about keeping it simple and this is very junior level, like does that matter at this level if they like to call someone or email them no it doesn't really but a big part of the role that I was hiring for yeah. is <laughs> no but no it's it, it is communication and mm. building relationships yeah. so it wasn't even so much like because someone could say oh I love picking up the phone and secretly be like oh, never made no phone call in my life I know literally I don't believe people that say that um but I was just trying to find out how comfortable they felt communicating with yeah. a variety of yeah, stakeholders, yeah. which I think is probably then how I rephrased the question. Like, yeah. tell me about a time when you've interacted with someone more senior than you and how you handled that and how it went and what yeah. the outcome was, all that kind of thing. That's a better way, I think, to get mm. to that. And also, I think, asking, and this is this is like interview 101, I don't think I'm reinventing the wheel here when I say that, but the the kind of competency-based questions, the scenario questions, they tell me about a time when I feel like that's when you really get to the heart of how someone genuinely performs because it's so easy to just bullshit your way through. Oh, I do this and I do yes. that and I love this. But actually, if they can't tell you about a time when they've done it. Yeah, I think that's going to be really um, important for me to keep in mind, actually, bringing it back to sort of the key things because thinking about interviews where I've been interviewing for roles in the past year, the best ones have just been conversations. Yeah. But I was I had a whole deck of examples as I was talking through this conversation. It was really I found the conversation really engaging and it was really good sort of back and forth talking about different um digital marketing topics and trends and it was great. And I'm really hoping that I don't have to like 
pull the answers out of people yeah. and be like so specifically like how do you use google analytics mm. like you know i I, mm. I would love and i you know maybe i've got too high expectations on that but i would just love for someone to come and just you know like present that and be like mm. i've done this and this how i've used it without me having to do that the formal like and so here how did you you know yeah it, that would be amazing but i don't know how common it is to have that did that happen I think it's important to bear in mind the level that you're require that you're hiring for and kind of set your expectations for that but I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that people will be willing to kind of confidently talk about their experience and you not Mm. have to really dig deep into um you know someone's experience you hope that they'll be open and willing to sharing that with you if they if someone didn't sort of openly share and you felt like you really had to dig for answers and you might have experienced this would you still consider them um it i think it really depends because i think if that is indicative of a communication style that is very closed down Mm. that would really put me off if i felt that they couldn't Mm. talk to me (laughs) about things (laughs) But you can sometimes sense, can't you, that like it's more based on nerves yes, or it's based yeah. on not fully grasping the question or mm-hmm. there's a variety of reasons why that might happen. But I think if you can tell that actually there's something kind of deeper at play there about the way that they like to talk to people, then that's mm-hmm. probably not a good sign. Yeah. It's interesting, I think, because and it, this is why I think hiring is so difficult as a new manager is because so much of it is instinctual and kind of gut based. Mm-hmm. When I made that hire that didn't work out, and I'm I'm not saying this because of that kind of retrospective impact of, you know, looking back and trying to explain it away, there were things that were said at interview that concerned me. Like, there were things that I... Mm. I remember talking to you about this. Like, I said, I don't feel comfortable with what's been said. And it wasn't anything like, oh, I like to go and kick puppies in my spare time. It wasn't (laughs) anything awful, but it was just some some key kind of phrases that were used around their behaviours and, like, what was important to them in a role and that I just kind of thought, I don't don't see this working. Um, And it's important also, like, in that scenario, I couldn't have known this, I was too early on in my career, but in that scenario, before making the offer, I should have just walked away. Like, they weren't weren't right and I knew it. Mm. And I should have just said let's start again but you don't want to it's that I can't remember what um the phrases I've heard it recently in a podcast about um the bias towards sticking with things that you spent a lot of time on like you don't want to walk away yeah I I can't remember what it is um with such professional um of not wanting to walk away from something you've invested a lot of time in you know you want to keep at it but actually in recruitment it is something that takes a lot of time and you can't get away from that but rightfully so but to your point earlier, it takes more time if you make the wrong decision yeah. than just saying, do you know what, if I don't feel good about this, if there's something that's holding me back and I'm not I'm not feeling 100% confident in this decision and I can't justify it to myself in those times when I feel doubt from mm. other people and I don't have something that I can say, no, actually, I made this decision because of X, Y, Z, yeah. that, that's, that's not sounding like a good foundation for a professional partnership. Yeah, that sounds good. Do you feel like you need time? Because sometimes sort of like the sort of adrenaline high of being in this interview Mm. situation, do you feel like you really needed time, like 24 hours sort of step away and think about it? Or did you just know? Sometimes I knew and sometimes I needed time, which is like the most wishy-washy answer ever. (laughs) But it very much depended on the person. Also, it it, it was one of those things where sometimes I needed to step away like when the person seemed too good to be true. So in those scenarios where you would think oh, great, let's just make the offer straight away. Actually, I had to think, am I just getting kind of, like, swept up? Am I just, you know, like you said, in the adrenaline of that interview situation, I need a bit of time to think, okay, is this really going to fit? But I do think that taking time to reflect, obviously not too long because you want to make the offer to the candidate and not lose them, but taking that time to reflect is really important because it can be exciting and it can be like, yeah, let's do this and Mm. get in and you feel like things need to move really fast and um, a the HR expert that we actually had on this um, podcast in the last episode, Sarah, um, actually said to me once that you should hire slowly and fire quickly. Everyone's in such a rush to hire and get the person through the door. But actually, unless it's like a really, really competitive job market and you're going to lose on this person, as long as you keep that communication up with them and you you know, maintain that, that point of contact, take the time 
don't rush it. It's such an important decision. Don't feel, don't get swept up in that adrenaline of like, yeah, I need this person now. Because realistically, you're still going to have to wait four weeks, probably maybe two months for them to come through the door. Mm -hmm. In two months' time, if that's how long they have, three months, maybe, who knows? Like, people have that that longer notice period. Are you still going to feel as good about that decision? Or is that period of reflection going to have revealed some things that perhaps weren't immediately obvious to you? And then you have that probation time and that is when you fire quickly if you need to because if it's not working and if you really have tried and you've done everything you possibly can to try and make a situation work, fire quickly, get them out. If, they, if this is not working, if this is having a detrimental impact on other people, it's, a, it's time to cut the relationship loose, unfortunately. And obviously no one wants to default to that. But if, and, that and hiring slowly actually, I think, decreases your risk of doing that. Mm. Um, but know that you have that option available to you And drawing, I feel like dragging it out, extending probations, making, you know, just it just drags out an issue that ultimately you probably know is not going to resolve itself. And you might have tried to play a really active role in resolving it. And if you have, and that hasn't quite worked, obviously, please do get the advice of your HR department. Don't just go around firing people (laughs) left, right and centre because they like sent you an email that pissed you off. Like, don't don't do that. Maintain points of contact around the organisation. Don't make any decisions on your own. But think to yourself, is this quite right? Do I need to have a difficult conversation here? Yeah, I really like that. And I think it's, it's probably one of those things where each hiring manager might have to experience it to really oh my God, yeah. if some, fully understand that. Yeah, I don't think I would have like believed someone that told me that. Mm. I'd have been like, yeah, okay. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't. But, but you learn. Yeah, that's you scary, learn. isn't it? That, like, like, I know I'm going to have to make hiring mistakes in my career to learn. Unfortunately, these difficult situations are part of being in the arena and making these. <laughs> Do you know what, actually... I have another question for you. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Do you feel... Did you feel like you would be judged as a new manager by sort of admitting and being like, oh, I didn't work out? Did you sort of feel like you had to, to an extent, sort of make it work and be like, everything is great, everything is fine, they're so good at their job, to sort yeah, of... So you that's a really interesting you know? question. I think... Um, so the person that made the hiring decision with me, when we knew that it wasn't going to work out and I kind of maintained that dialogue with them and... and they were across everything that's happening mm. and was very on, on board with it and kind of understood, which was great and really helped. They said to me, when you make this decision, everyone's going to have an opinion on it. Oh, that's a, you know, mm. that's difficult. Everyone's going to have something to say about it because it's gossip and it's like, oh, wow, mm. what happened? Um, and everyone's going to want to like a piece of what's going on. Mm. Just keep your head down focus on you and focus on your team because actually when that happens your team are the most important thing and that was the first thing that I did after I um had that difficult conversation was I sat down with my team and I explained everything obviously Mm. keeping things very professional I didn't go like have a whole laundry list of things (laughs) that have gone wrong but was very open and honest about why things haven't worked out and Mm. was 100% transparent that they were my focus and I wanted to make sure that they understood everything that was going on that they didn't feel insecure in their own positions and that they believed in why I'd done it. I actually, the big, the, the only opinions that I cared about were those in my team Aww. because I didn't want them to think that I gave up too soon or that I didn't believe in the team or that I was the kind of person that didn't care about people and was like, okay, go, like, I'm done, I'm out. Yeah. And I was really worried that they would believe in me less as a leader because Aww. of it. Um, because I thought that they might just see me as someone that would like, yeah, just, just get rid of people. That's, and that's not, yeah. that's not, that's not what I wanted to do. No. Um, but actually I hope that it has meant that they believe in me more because they know that I won't, I won't accept things that aren't right. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking when you were talking is I was thinking in the exact opposite, looking mm. in on that situation, like how amazing that you're, so, you know, in your head, like what's right. And you were willing to follow through on that. I was just, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm with you. I think you definitely admired more as a leader for sort of sticking to what's right. Yeah, I think uh, I appreciate you saying that. I think in the long term, it's easy to see that. But I think in the short term, I felt very much like they're just going to think I'm a heartless bitch that like got rid of this person, you know, because I didn't know what their relationships really were like with this person. They might have thought Mm. they were great and they might not have any understanding of why I've made the decision that I made. And they just really had to believe me. Yeah. And they might not have. They might have said, well, I, I don't believe what you're saying. Do you know? And I, I don't think anyone on my team would have done that. But mm. that was a real risk. And I was just worried that they, yeah, they wouldn't trust me or they wouldn't 
believe in why I did what I did. Um, luckily that wasn't the case, but yeah, it was tough. It was really tough, but I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really care about what anyone else had to say. I mean, I did to an extent from the perspective of a kind of like peer to peer level, mm. I was quite proud of myself that I had the conviction to do it because yeah. I've heard so many managers just like moaning about people in their teams and then just not doing anything about mm. it. Um, and I didn't want to be one of those people. Like if something's not right, fix it or yeah. make a difficult decision. Yeah. Like don't just keep putting up with it because that's not, we don't need to do that. Yeah. Sound advice. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I think that experience is so valuable that I know from looking on the outside and hearing what you said today, I will definitely try and learn some of those and take <laughs> yeah, on board what you um, know some of the advice there, particularly in the interviews and things and the types of people to look for. Yeah. I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been helpful for you. I hope it's been helpful for anyone else that has um, either hired someone or is looking to hire someone, maybe someone that's going for some interviews, maybe. Mm. Um, go, stepping up to management, that's definitely something we can talk about as well, the kind of skills that you need on your CV as a manager. Um, yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah, great. Episode. Okay, next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Fab. Um, so as you may know by now, at the end of every episode, we um, share something that we have learned from this week. And it is my turn to do that today, even though I've like, massively dominated the airwaves today so sorry i will keep this very short and sweet um it's actually something that feels like a little bit of a cop-out because it's something that i heard on another podcast (laughs) but i think it's really relevant to hiring so i wanted to share and it's something actually that we've already touched on because i kind of had this front of mind um Guess which podcast it was. Diary of a CEO. <laughs> yes, of course, it was Diary of a CEO. Um, it was the episode with Jay Shetty, that very long episode that we were actually talking about before we started recording. Um, and Stephen Bartlett said in it, and this is not a, a direct quote, but this is me paraphrasing what he said, I need to stop applying my own personal biases to everyone around me. My ideas of success and happiness are not the same as everyone else's, and particularly those that I work with. And I thought that was so interesting hiring. We talked about kind of not hiring in your in your own image and just wanting yeah. people that are like you. I thought that was very, very interesting, not just for when you're hiring someone, but kind of when you bring them on board, not holding everyone, not it's not even not holding everyone to your same standard, but it's not kind of having this cardboard cutout of what a good employee looks like, yeah. accepting that this will look very different for different people. And your priorities might not be someone else's priorities, and that's okay. Mm. And that can feel quite frustrating. But ultimately, if you look at where that's coming from, which probably relates back to their ideas of like success and happiness, it can help you to really understand that in a more empathetic way. I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I really like that. Do you know, so much comes back to people's values, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's like all everything. what it comes back to. Maybe, yeah, that's probably why so many people do those, like, psychological tests and interviews, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend doing that, but yeah. No, <laughs> I didn't get a role, like, maybe about seven years ago now, because they made me do one of those tests, and I didn't really understand it, so I was just, like, going through, like, ticking loads of boxes, and they were like, you're a psychopath. Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> They're like, you're the craziest person we've ever interviewed. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, like, weird, because there's, like, four box. it was, like, four boxes in a row, and, like, ten million boxes, and I thought you just sort of ticked a cup on each row but you don't you take one mm. on each row and yeah totally messed that up so I yeah, didn't even get through <laughs> yeah I probably wouldn't have someone that did that what an idiot <laughs> I was like 20 at the time but yeah you didn't care you were fine <laughs> <laughs> Fab. So we will be back in a fortnight with a brand new episode. But in the meantime, please follow us on social media at New Managers Club on Instagram to make sure you don't miss any of the action. As always, we'll be there sharing plenty of resources, tips and videos to keep your leadership skills up to date between episodes. Until then, we will see you in the very next episode. See you next time. Bye.